Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Uh, actually not joined by anyone tonight. I'm coming at you solo. Uh, I just had a bunch of thoughts on the Pacers coaching search and, um, you know, just a couple things in, in concourse with that. First of all, I hope that you're having a great weekend or had a great weekend because you'll be hearing this tomorrow morning uh, and you're, you know, getting a good start to your week. Um, so obviously if you were, you know, if you had your head up and ears to the ground on, uh, on the weekend, Mike Brown has been announced as being part of the interview process for the Pacers head coaching candidacy. And while I don't think that there's anything indicating that he's necessarily a leading candidate for the job, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about him and his tenure with the Cavs and slight tenure with the Lakers and then back with the Cavs again. So obviously he uh, started up with the Cavs in, I believe, 2005, was there until 2010. So for five seasons, um, it brought LeBron in his first stint there. Uh, to his very first finals appearance. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of things to look at. First of all, just talking on this, his Cavs appearance, he ended up uh, having his, so very similarly, uh, or I guess oppositely to Nate McMillan, uh, Mike Brown had his option come up at the end of 2010, which was the obviously the, the year that the, the decision happened. Um, but this is prior to, to Brown's free agency. Uh, Dan Gilbert did not pick up his option and he became a free agent. And so then after that, uh, LeBron obviously leaves and uh, Mike Brown ends up going and coaching the Lakers. And that team is obviously two years removed from winning a title. Um, they're pretty old at that point. I mean, Powell and Kobe are both hitting their early 30s. I think Kobe was was 33. Powell's like 31, 32. Um, and that's right before they get, get Dwight and everybody for the failed super team. And so then they have that year and they're there. I mean, just if you go over the roster, it's pretty like, I don't know. I mean, they have some of the remnants of that champion te- championship team. Ah, tongue twister. Uh, they're still, you know, pretty old, not great. And then the next year, obviously, they had massive expectations. Uh, I don't know how much you remember about that, but that was one of the first big teams coming together that I remember from my lifetime. You know, Dwight, uh, Steve Nash. Uh, I, I can remember that picture very descriptively in my head. It's Dwight, Steve Nash. Uh, Kobe and Pau Gasol and obviously you know uh, Mike coaches five games they go one and four and he's fired uh, which obviously that's I mean that's a very short time uh, I went back and I, I tried to read through some articles and, and videos and uh, it seems mainly like there was just a lot of disconnect on that team in the first five games and uh, you know if you know anything about that team it was like that for the entire year um, they I believe Kobe got injured in the first round of the playoffs as well and they lost in the second round I think yeah, because they went five and seven that year uh, in the playoffs. So obviously, you know, kind of underwhelming when you consider the talent on that team. But also, I mean, Kobe's old, Powell's old. Dwight has his first real significant injury. And Steve Nash is like ancient, man. Um, so, you know, that is that is what it is. Then he goes to the, the, the Cavs again for the Kyrie Dion uh, team and, he goes 33 and 49, I believe, and then he gets let go of again, which is kind of weird considering that was not a good team. Um, but 
So looking into it, you know, the reason I want to talk about Mike Brown is not necessarily in terms of his his coaching acumen and to mention as well. I mean, he's been the associate head coach for the Golden State Warriors, I believe, the last four years now. Um, So, yeah, that's Mike Brown. You'd think, okay, a guy who's got that long of a coaching resume, he started coaching in in the late 90s with Washington and and spent quite a few years with San Antonio when they made their first title runs um, with Duncan and Robinson. And uh, so, I mean, you think, yeah, this guy's got to be in his 60s, right? He just turned 50 this year, actually. Um, so younger than Nate um, <laughs> by a decent amount. And actually, Nate's not even that old, I think about it. Um, but alas, you get what I'm saying. You'd think that he's older. Uh, still relatively young as far as coaches go. He was the youngest, co- second youngest coach in the league um, behind Lawrence Frank, now Clippers executive, uh, when he first got hired to the Cavs. So... In looking at Mike Brown, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how we put labels on coaches. And this applies a lot to players, too. And I've talked about it with players, but I want to talk about it with coaches. Um, so, you know, I see it a lot in terms of on Twitter or maybe it's even on IC or just in general and talking to people. And uh, I think maybe I'm part of it, too. And it's not even that it's a thing. It's not like some big deal. I just felt like talking about it. Um, we put labels on coaches. So you think of a guy like Kenny Atkinson, right? And anytime you hear Kenny Atkinson's name get thrown around for a job interview, uh, which he has not actually been talked about with the Pacers that much. I believe he was on that, that short list, but he has not been talked about much as a Pacers candidate. Um, but, you know, he gets talked about as a player development guy. And you look at what he did in Brooklyn, um, elevated the play of, of Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Allen, helped really grow that team from the brink of just being complete dog shit. I mean, that team was terrible. Uh, after it disassembled from the massive trade. Um, and he really helped build that team into a, a contending core. And they, that was actually a really fun group to watch. Uh, not this past year, but the year before when they made the playoffs. Um, they were reminiscent of a Pacers team getting, you know, a, a lot of just a team that was uh, greater than the sum of its parts, right? Um, so he gets that player development coach, and rightfully so. He, he, he developed some players who were young guys. Um, but I think we pigeonhole this guy into, okay, he's a player development guy, but I need somebody who needs to win now. And while that, that I get that sentiment, I think it's important to realize, I mean, he didn't get a chance to win now, uh, or he's never been in that environment. You could say this year, but Kyrie was injured most of the year. So it was almost, I think I look at injuries, especially you talk about with Vic this year. Um, it's almost worse to have somebody who keeps coming back from injuries every couple of weeks and um, you have to keep building them back into the roster and the game plan and figuring that out and dealing with that. And I don't mean that in, in, it's easy for me to look at it from a non-personal sense, but I mean in terms of team building and the way that your, your roster is constructed and you're trying to do things uh, through your system or what you're trying to build out, I mean it felt very uh, um, like – I'm trying to think of the right term. Nip and tuck seems like the right term here. I think it was or like it, just a lot of grab and pull um, between that team and Kyrie Irving. Because you had a lot of the same guys from last year. Uh, and then DeAndre Jordan and Kyrie Irving came in. And I'm not trying to pin that on anyone. But I think you just have two very different styles. You have, I mean, Kyrie runs a, he's a very ball dominant player and rightfully so. Um, but then you look at what, I mean, that team was predicated on a lot of ball movement um, and just kind of uh, equal opportunity offense last year. Um, so it's very clashing styles, and they never were able to mesh that, which, I mean, maybe that is partially on Kenny Atkinson. Or not maybe. I mean, that is partially on Kenny Atkinson. But I think also 
it's just hard to do that. And they weren't a very good team this year, considering, you know, the depth of the roster and everything. Kevin Durant's out. Um, it was just that year for them, you know. Um, so I think it's just in looking at him, I, I don't love pigeonholing a guy like that because I just don't think he's had the opportunity to show that he isn't uh, just the player development coach. Maybe he is. You know, maybe I could be wrong in that. But I think that's that's one aspect I wanted to hit on. Um you know, and I think also when looking in labels on coaches, we talk about guys being a defensive coach. And you, you look at and Mike Brown and the Cavs had a top 10 defense uh, every year that he was there, except I believe his first year. And part of that is a he, he is a very good defensive coach. I, I have to go back and watch through some of the film again. But I mean, if you go back, I mean, that 0809 Cavs team was phenomenal. And especially considering, um, I mean, he's a guy who I think partially you have to take it with a grain of salt, not to discredit him as a coach, but I mean, LeBron James was a walking, you know, top four seed. It still is. Uh, I mean, uh, and again, that's not to discredit Mike Brown's coaching. Clearly, I mean, if you get a team to the finals, you can't have just a totally lackluster crap coach on your bench. Um, so I think that's important to note. But I also mean, you know, the Cavs did not have great talent uh, when LeBron was there. And some people will dispute that, but I mean... Uh, there was never really a clear second guy. I think Larry Hughes was probably the best second guy that he had. And even then, I mean, he, he was solid, but he was never great. He was really good in, in Washington, but uh, in with the Cavs, he was pretty injury riddled. He was not an awesome shooter. Uh, just, I mean, they, they, they never had the, the full roster. I think a lot of that comes down on Dan Gilbert. Um, but that's, you know, this is a Pacers podcast. I'll talk to some of my Cavs friends about that. Uh but in terms of the offense and Mike Brown, he ran more of a Princeton set. So, you know, slower, uh, more methodical sets uh, when you're looking back. And and that was part of the reason for why he was let go. Uh, LeBron James and others on the roster, not just a single out LeBron, talked about, um, you know, he, they had issues with his game plans offensively uh, in the final year and, and specifically in the 2010 postseason where they, they struggled defensively as well. Uh, which you know that's going to happen when you're if you're if you're not really playing cohesively offensively and you're having issues with the game plan uh, internally, then I think that would definitely trickle over defensively as well. But that's just you know some uh, some thoughts on that. Uh, so I think you know that's the, the, what I'm getting at is we look at Mike Brown and we're like, okay, well he's a good defensive coach, but he doesn't know the game offensively, and I think that's unfair. Um, you know we. The the Lakers season, he went and, he, again, he coached the Lakers. He had no time off. He went right from the Cavs to the Lakers. So you don't really have time to sit down and reflect a whole lot on what you're doing. Obviously, you have time in the offseason, but I think it's totally different when you're fired and you don't have another job or you don't have the same job and and you you have time to reflect. I think I look back at that a lot with, with my boxing career, which I, I know I always bring that up. Um, but it's just it's something pertinent in my life that I think about a lot. You know, I in, in between fights, you have time to sit down and really think about things, but you're still in a headspace of what you you are at or where you think you're at and where you're trying to go. And I think until you really have that that time where you're like, okay, I'm not boxing right now, I'm not fighting, I'm not doing this, um, you get a really different perspective. And I imagine it's very similar with being a head coach or even being a player. You know, you have when you're in that thing, doing that thing, you're very caught up in that. And, and that's where your perspective is coming from. Right. Um, so I think I look at Mike Brown and the time that he's had off working with Golden State. Uh, he's been the associate head coach, as I mentioned, for four years now. 
Uh, obviously, Steve Kerr, a great innovator. That whole team, uh, just extremely innovative offensively and defensively. We never talk about how good their defense is. That defense, I think their defense to me is more important for how good they were than the offense was. Uh, but you know that you you can hit me up about that one if you have questions. But I'd love to talk about that. Um, but my point is with Mike Brown, he's had this time off. He's been able to really think through and, and adapt his philosophies and, and become a different person. And I, I, you know, I went back and I was looking through some of his interviews and um, some of the articles on him, and he's talked about how he's gotten time to really tone down as a person and how he, you know, talks to players. Because I think. Uh, from from everything I remember and from what I read, he was very much like a Nate McMillan type guy, uh, and not not to discredit Nate, but just kind of the Sarge. You know, he was uh, you know, and, uh, not saying author- authoritarian sounds really bad connotatively, but uh, I mean that's the kind of coach he was. He was a coach's coach, or however you want to put it. You know, just very drill sergeant esque, um, which I think that's kind of a common theme with guys who are defensive coaches. It seems like, um, but the point with that, I think. He's worth giving a chance, and I, I'm, I'm, we can talk about that with many other coaching candidates, but I think my point is just we, we don't want to look at these guys for what they were doing. Uh, I mean, we, we do want to evaluate what they did five years ago, right? But at the same time, we can't just look at it in terms of, okay, well, that's what it is. That's what it has to be, and I think that's something I'm looking at now in terms of, you know, not to plug my own piece, but I'm working on an article on, on the Monis Sabonis and um, what a Sabonis-centric Pacers team looks like. And I think my thoughts have changed already um, just outlining it and, and researching stuff. Uh, you know, I originally came in with this thought, okay, well, maybe it won't work and uh, maybe there's a ceiling to it. And I still think that there is to an extent, but you look at, he's 24 years old. You know, anything can happen in the next couple of years. You, you, you're not hitting your prime already at 24 years old, at least in most scenarios. And a lot of times, uh, bigs are hitting their prime a little bit later uh, than guards, just from, from what I've seen and understand. Um, but, you know, just going into that, I think looking at players and coaches for what they are right now or what they were from, from our data points, that's important. But you also have to account for the fact that, that growth happens. Growth is very real and it's tangible. And that's actually why I got into basketball. I love growth. I love seeing growth and, and analyzing and talking about it. And that's why I do this. Um, so I think in looking at Mike Brown, that's just something that, that I think is important to keep in mind and, and with all the other coaches. So that being said, I think Mike Brown should be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of his interview and, and, and what the uh, brain think of, I mean, brain trust, brain, brain think, I meant brain trust of the uh, the Pacers front office think of him from their interview. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back to finish up the the second segment of the show. Welcome back Pacers fans. All right. So kind of going off of what we were talking about with with putting labels to 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 coaches and the players. I want to talk about finding the next Nick Nurse, which is probably what I'm going to, what I'm going to title this episode. Uh, because I see that a lot, not just for the Pacers head coaching search. I think for for every job that's opened up. Um, I mean, you look at the Knicks. They talked about that before they hired Tibbs. And um, you're, you're seeing that with a lot of the teams right now who don't have a coach. Um, and I think that's an important thing to look at. So when you think of Nick Nurse, you think of a guy who's adaptable, who is energetic, who is a, definitely a player's coach. You know, he's, and I, we got to get rid of that moniker. I, I know I'm the one who just used it, but I think every coach is there to be a player's coach to some extent. You know, they're there doing it 
for the players because they want to be around players and be around the game. Um, Nate clearly was that guy. He just was not super involved in the locker room, which I, I mean that you can take that however you want. I think that's, it's just different mentalities and different mindsets and eras. Um, but I mean, looking at Nick Nurse, he's very clearly, he's a guy who's close with his players. The players love him. They love playing for him. And he's, he's built interpersonal relationships with him. So, all right, that's kind of what Nick Nurse is to me, at least in a nutshell, right? Um, but I think we've kind of morphed that and talked about it in terms of, okay, well, we got to find this really young guy who is, you know, he'll throw 8 million defenses out there to try and mess with the offense. And I do like that aspect. I actually think that having an adaptable defense is huge. Um, but I think we're getting a little bit too focused in on the lens of, okay, a young guy who isn't a head coach yet, who just needs the chance to be one. And I think just tying it in with looking at the the labels we're putting on coaches and, and players as well, I mean, who's to say that the Pacers' Nick Nurse is a guy who comes from the same kind of background as Nick Nurse, right? So what I mean by that, maybe, and this is not me trying to say that Mike Brown should be the next head coach or will be the next head coach, but I'm just saying, all right, Mike Brown has had all this time off, right? He's gotten all this time to think through the game and innovate and, and change his philosophies and change how he acts and how he is and and really think about what he wants to do differently, right? And I think maybe that makes him the next Nick Nurse for the Pacers or someone like that. You know, it's it, very rarely are we, are we going to have someone who comes in from the same background with the same mentalities and same ideas and everything that 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 is emblematic of the same person and is able to, to replicate that kind of success. Um, so I think, you know, it just, again, I mean, you look at a guy like Mike D'Antoni, I think that's less of a Nick. I mean, again, this is looking through the lens. So you look at Mike D'Antoni, he's a guy, he could be, he could be Nick Nurse's dad. He's that old. (laughs) God, that sounds incredibly ageist, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. He's, he's not fitting the mold of what you're thinking of a guy like Nick Nurse, right? Mike D'Antoni is a seasoned veteran head coach who has been around for a, a long time, longer than I've been alive, actually. Um, and that, so I've, I've seen some fight back to that. Like, well, he's, he's old. He hasn't done anything yet. And I would definitely say that that is false. He's done a ton. You don't have to win a championship to be a great coach. Um, sometimes it's just the hand that's dealt. There's one team that wins, wins it out of 30 every year. Uh, and, Mike D'Antoni's come damn close multiple times. Um, but my point is getting into the Pacers situation is very different than the Raptors situation. So the Raptors were a team that was on the precipice of being a, a title, a title team. And I think, you know, this team, while it's good, um, they're not ready to make that step. Maybe we'll have different thoughts after the, the off season and some trades happen and free agency happens. Uh, and, and, you know, the landscape of both conferences will change up. But I think just in looking at this team, we're looking for that guy who takes this team to contender level because they're not a contender right now. I think that's pretty clear. They're somewhere in a murky spot in between that and just being kind of average. You know, I, I talked with on my podcast with Mike Prado, we talked about mediocrity and what being average is. And I think he was less bullish on the Pacers than I am, obviously. And I try and be uh, impartial, and, and, and but while still being optimistic. 
I think this team has proven that they are better than a first round out team, even though that's what what the results have been. Um, I think that they have shown during the regular season that they have the talent to be more, but coaching wise and game planning and, and injuries all factored into to that not happening. Um, so I think looking for a guy to be Nick Nurse is the problem. We're looking for a guy to be insert the name of the next Pacers coach who takes this team to where they can go. Um, I think we it's good to look for similar qualities, but we're getting caught up in looking for the same background or the same uh, same kind of traits in a guy that aren't necessarily um, about his coaching. You know, I think, I mean, you look at a guy like, I mean, talk about Chauncey Billups. I think he's, I've talked about that with, with Tom. He's a sexy name to float out, former player. I think he could be a great head coach, but he's very, very different from that Nick Nurse mold. And, and I mean, you know, in terms of a guy who's coming in without head coaching experience, I know that he mentors players. He's been around the league. He knows the game incredibly well, obviously knows things better in and out than, than I or, or any of you listening do. And that's not to besmirch you, but I mean, he played in the league for 15 years. So I think he knows a, a damn thing or two. Um, well, that's, you know, to bring in a guy who's never coached before at all and have him be a head coach on a team that's trying to become a contender. That's tough. I wonder what that would be like. I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, but I, it, it definitely brings a lot of thoughts for me uh, and questions more so than answers. Um, I mean, maybe a guy like David Vanterpool, who I'm really high on. I know the league is high on. I know Minnesota has not been good, but David Vanterpool is really highly thought of uh, as a young, innovative coach. Ime Udoka over with the 76ers as well. Uh, I mean, Becky Hammond, who has not had head coaching experience, but has been a coach. Um, and I think one, just a, a, a small aside, I think it's a discredit to her just to talk about her being a woman instead of talking about her as being this incredible coaching prospect. Um, I don't think Greg Popovich and Pau Gasol and everyone who's been with the Spurs organization that's come out and spoken about Becky Hammond and her potential as a rising star in the coaching ranks, they would not do that if she was not that. Um, I don't think the Spurs organization has ever been that kind of organization to hype someone up if it's not really there. Uncouth, I think what I really just mean is treat Becky Hammond like she's any other coaching prospect because that's what she's doing. She's here to coach. She's not here to to have – like obviously uh, it's important to 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 be respectful and, and to be forward-thinking. But at the same time, just remember Becky Hammond is here doing the exact same thing and trying to do the exact same thing that that David Vanterpool or Chauncey Billups or Ime Udoka is break into being a head coach. Um, so I think that's the lens we have to look through it. You know, she's treat her just like you would anyone else because she's trying to do the job that anyone else would. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Uh, but I've been thinking about that a lot, and I just I, I I just want to talk about her more as a coaching candidate because that's what she's trying to do. You know. Um, but anyways, I think, you know, I'm, I'm starting to go on and on and on a little bit. I have a, I have a lot of thoughts. So sometimes when I get in front of a microphone, I can just kind of go off a little bit. I, I hope you guys uh, get something out of this and I'd love any feedback. I'll, I'll be pretty active on, on IC uh, tomorrow and coming days. Of course, I always try and get back to you guys. If you have any questions, comments, anything, be sure to shoot me uh, over on Twitter. Don't, well, actually don't, don't shoot me, shoot questions to me. I phrased that terribly. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you for listening. 
I appreciate you guys for listening. And I know we're starting to get into the off season, so we have a little bit less content, but we will be uh, pumping some more stuff out, working on that bonus piece like I talked about. And Caitlin dropped a great piece on Dave Yeager today as well that you should go check out. Um, but please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Read us on Indie Cornrows. And just be sure to have a great rest of your day.